You're listening to the Bravehearted Voices podcast. In this podcast, we feature sermons that deeply stir us toward Jesus Christ and living fully for His glory. As you listen to this powerful collection of communicators from yesteryear, it is our desire that you be stirred to live a life fully given to Jesus Christ and discover a Christianity that actually works. Looking at Acts uh, chapter 1. And uh, the truth of the matter is, I have no idea how this is going to turn out. Uh, I'm trying to digest this material myself and work this into my own life. And uh, that always takes me longer than most people. So uh, we've been uh, <clears throat> dealing with a study in the book of Acts uh, beginning at verse 15. And we talked a little about it in one of the sessions this morning. But So this will be a review for some of you. But... Uh, we're looking at verse 15 down through verse 26, which is a certain section. And this uh, section is very unique. And I was really, as I was over, going, doing an overall view of the chapter, I was uh, looked at this in fear and trembling and was uh, spent as much time as I could in verse 1 down through verse 14, avoiding coming to verse 15. Because verse 15, of course, is the first recorded business meeting of the early church. And this is the minutes of the first board meeting inspired scripture, which is a little hard to digest, you know, uh, that that could possibly be. But that's what you've got on your hands. And you know the sequence of what's going on here. And I've just got to walk you through some of this to get where we want to uh, get tonight. Uh, you know, of course, that the crucifixion is taking place, taken place. The resurrection has taken place. Jesus has spent 40 solid days with them. And there's been this intense 40-day seminar with the resurrected Christ. They've lived with Him, walked with Him. He has just gotten so big in their eyesight. They have just literally been mastered by Him. They, they came out of that 40 days. They couldn't talk about anything else. They couldn't think about anything else. There, there was no possibility of doing anything else. They're literally just oh, passionate about it. They just burn with this one thing. Their whole focus, their whole wrap-up is in this one, one idea, the resurrected uh, Christ Himself. And that is so forcibly upon their mind. Jesus then ascends. So now they're left at, at, to be obedient in terms of going back to Jerusalem as he told them to do. And in verse 12, you'll recognize that they return to Jerusalem in obedience, of course. And as they were in uh, the upper room, uh, they were there, as we calculated out, only seven, about seven to ten days. So this was not a long period of time. They were not hiding in an upper room, you understand. They were... Uh, only there about seven to ten days, and they spent most of their time down in the temple, Luke says, praising God and rejoicing. Who's down at the temple? The leaders of Israel. So the guys that crucified Christ, they're in their faces, man, saying, hey, we win. He's raised from the dead. And they're really, really testifying. And I think I can prove to you biblically that when Pentecost actually happened and the movement of the Holy Spirit actually took place, it took place in the temple where the crowd was and the whole movement began to take place in Christianity out of the birth of the church and Pentecost. So what a scene it is. So it's during that time period. So Jesus has ascended. They're in this waiting period. And what are they doing during that waiting period? Well, in verse 14, they're in one accord, which is not a Honda, and they're in prayer. And of course, it gives you a description of the people who were there. In fact, in verse 15, it tells us that there were 120 of them. Now, you know that there were more believers in Jerusalem than 120. And you know that if you include the people, the, the disciples that are included in Galilee and the surrounding uh, country of Palestine, all of Palestine, there would be more than 120. But this was the, 
the, uh, the focused 120. There were other believers, but they didn't come. They had Little League and other things going on. And this group hey, had only one thing going on in their mind. They're locked in, man. And they, they, are, they are focused and they're in one accord and they're praying. And this is the establishment, the focused group, the charter members of the early church. And they're focused. And it's during this prayer time and this prayer time, you understand, and we'll talk a lot about this. Uh, but the prayer time, as it is described, is not just uh, getting on your knees and praying for a half hour or even an all night of prayer. The context of prayer here is the idea that they were, they were under the umbrella of prayer. That everything they did had to do with prayer. That they didn't do anything that wasn't connected in fellowship and devotion and interaction with God. So prayer is a broad term here, meaning everything they did from eating to singing to uh, down at the temple to laughing together to fellowship, to everything that was going on in their lives was under this umbrella of practicing His presence and intimate involvement with and, and in fellowship and interaction with God. They didn't do anything outside of interaction with God Himself. They were constantly in prayer. It's what Paul called praying without ceasing. Whoa, what a concept. So they were in that. Now, as they were in that, Peter comes along in verse 15 and says, Hey, guys, I really got this on my heart. I've been in this prayer thing with you. And, uh, hey, a, uh, I've been studying the scriptures as well. And I, and I feel a burden. Uh, I, I want to share something with you. And it's very significant that he stood. He is not sitting. Sitting in their day was the place of authority. When the rabbis taught in the synagogue, they were seated saying, Hey, listen to me. Shut up and listen to me because I'm seated. And Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount sitting. Standing was not a place of authority. So Peter is not sitting. He's standing, which is more of an idea of, Hey, I'm suggesting this to you. I'm not jamming this down your throat. This is not the old Peter, you know, who always had to have his way kind of thing. This is Peter saying, I'd really like to suggest this to you. Uh, it's really been bugging me. It's this business of Judas. And he ties the scripture into it, verse 16. This scripture had to be fulfilled. And then he gives this idea about Judas. Now, he doesn't tell the story of Judas. He simply says in verse 16 that uh, Judas was arrested. Judas uh, was concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. In other words, he gave concept. They didn't need details of the story. They all knew about the betrayal. They all knew about the kiss. They all knew about the plot, the plan, how he carried. The, they all knew about all that. So he didn't need to go into those details. He gave them concept. And the concept of what Judas was doing which is a whole message in itself. He was a guide, a guide to those who arrested Jesus. And he says, hey, he was one of us, verse 17. He was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Then there's a parenthesis and Luke interjects this idea. The idea that, hey, it was the wages of iniquity. He purchased a field, falling headlong. He burst open in the middle and all of his entrails gushed out and became known to all of those dwelling in Jerusalem. So he gives that insight. Then he comes back to Peter's speech in verse 20. And Peter's saying to the group, hey, we really need to do something about this Judas thing. There's, uh, you know, there was 12 of us. Now there's only 11. And uh, the scriptures, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. And what scriptures is he talking about? Well, he quotes two of them in the Psalms, from the Psalms in verse 20. There they are. Now he moves into then verse 21 and says, here's, here's what I'm suggesting to you. We need to replace Judas. Now, we're not really replacing Judas in, uh, only in one sense. In other words, it isn't the office that's bad. It was Judas that blew it. The office is still there. 
It's like there's a chair called apostleship and Judas was sitting in it. Oops, he fell out. Now somebody else needs to sit in that chair because it's still there. The idea of 12, by the way, was not our idea that all through the scriptures that keeps seeming to be, uh, hey, 12 tribes of Israel. We didn't think that up. I mean, that was God's idea. 12 apostles who were promised that they would rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. Hey, we didn't make that up. That was Jesus' idea. So this 12 thing seems to be important. So Peter comes along and says, you know, hey, this isn't right. And before Pentecost can actually happen and the dynamic of the fullness of the Spirit can take place, you know, some things need to be made right here. Some things have got to be put in place. This is one of them. Hey, we can't just hang around here and say, whoa, do it, God. Hey, we, there's some things that we, in obedience and, and openness that, that we have to respond to. And this is one of them. And God has been laying this on my heart. So I'm suggesting that we really need to fill this spot. Well, that's a great idea, Peter. How are we going to do it? Well, he says, uh, hey, it probably doesn't matter how we do it. And again, there's a whole sermon on that. Strategy doesn't matter. <laughs> God can work with anything. God can absolutely work with anything. I better not get off on that. Hey, God, hey, you can't do the wrong thing if you got an open heart. Because <laughs> what you do will be all right. He'll work it out. <laughs> see, see, you're so worried about, oh, am I going to do the right thing? Hey, don't worry about it. Just go for it, man. And God will work the thing out if you got an open heart. Can't do the wrong thing. Because strategy doesn't matter to God. See, you throw him across and, hey, he redeems the world with it. You give, him a, you give him a stable with manure in it and a manger and, hey, he bursts his son in it. I mean, you can't, you can't miss. Whatever you throw at him, he is going to utilize that thing. Hey, you give him a messed up life and what does he do with it? You give him a past of abuse and what does he do with it? He glorifies it and beautifies it. And by the time he gets done, he uses it for his glory. And you're saying, wow, praise the Lord. I'm glad this happened. <laughs> He's amazing, folks. He's just absolutely amazing and so redemptive. So he says, you know, we're going to go back to the old strategy. And, of course, the traditionalists love this. We'll do what we've always done. We've always done it this way, so let's do it this way. And how have we always done it? Cast lots. Now, what we ought to do, we ought to pick two guys out. Yeah, we'll pick two guys out, and we'll cast lots over them. And, uh, hey, then it will be, according as we've always believed, that God would direct the lot to the right guy. Okay, we're going to narrow it down to two guys. Oh, my, how are we going to do that? Who qualifies? Who's the best looking? Who has the most talent? Who's the... No, no. Who has the shortest nose? No, that's not the qualification. What's the qualification? Well, he lists that in verse 21 and 22. And there's a whole study in that. And when he gets done saying, the the guy who's going to qualify has to have been with us all the time that Jesus, uh, from his baptism all the way through to his ascension, has to have been there the whole time. And the whole purpose of this is that he might be a witness of the resurrection. That's the purpose of it. Okay, so that really narrows it down to who we can choose. There's not too many guys here who have been with Jesus all the time from his baptism all the way through to his ascension. So they picked out two as best they could. Now they got the two. What are we going to do now? Oh, then you come to verse 23. They proposed two. Joseph, who's surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. They prayed. So part of the whole strategy was not only choosing to, casting lots, but praying. And obviously this is a summary prayer. You would agree with that. It's a summary prayer. 
It's not the whole, they probably spent an hour, two hours, who knows. But this is just a short, brief summary of the emphasis of the prayer that they made. And it's a prayer of an open heart. It's a prayer of, wow, we're, we're desperate. It's a prayer of, hey, we, we want to go in the right direction. It's a prayer of, oh God, we want your mind on this. We're not pushing you around, God. We, we're really seeking to know where you want to go on this thing. Because we don't want the wrong guy. It's wide open. Which probably is a qualification uh, that's necessary for the coming of the moving of the Holy Spirit, the fulfilling of the promise. If you wanted to go to somebody's life and you wanted to see them in total, absolute honesty, no cover-up, no making it look good, no touched-up photo. If you just wanted to say, hey, man, I saw them as they really are. I'd like to propose to you that the time, one time, that would be good to go and see a person in total honesty would be at the moment of intense, desperate, Intercessory prayer. It's the foxhole kind of thing. It's the prayer when the bullets are over your head, man. Whoa, and you're in the mud and the grime. And hey, you're in this hole. And hey, oh God. See, there's no hypocrisy. And see, there's no cover up. See, pride is set aside. There's no, oh, what will others think? See, there's none of that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, that's dead right down to it. Honesty and openness. Real prayer. So when real prayer takes place, and that's maybe one reason why we don't end up ever praying a lot. We mouth a lot of words, but really prayer that moves. Why didn't God answer my prayer? Maybe I've never prayed. Have I ever been down to it? Right, mean, right down. Hey, I don't care who hears me. I don't care whether they stop the trucks on the highway. I don't, I don't care what's going on, man. Hey, here's my, I'm white. Oh, God. And no hypocrisy and no cover-up and no adjusting. It's total honesty. I would propose to you a time like that. For Jesus was the garden of Gethsemane. Oh, look into him. Look upon him and look within him. You're seeing him as he is. You know, this is not Sermon on the Mount stuff. Let me tell you, multitudes. See, this is not miracles. This is not 5,000 being fed. See, this is not hype. This is not, well, I'm telling you, I'm giving you a seminar on death to yourself. See, this is not that kind of stuff. This is not, this is not training. This is not Sunday morning Sunday school class. This is not, this is not, let me talk to you about the cross. This is, hey, uh, my nose is on, my nose is right up to it, brother. Hey, my forehead's right into it. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning into, I've got just a few, a few moments, a few moments. Man, they're going to come. Jesus, you're going to come through. Hey, is this all hype? Did you really mean this? All the stuff you mouth off about, all the sermons you preach. Hey, did you, did, did you really? Now you're down to it, man. See, this is not show, microphone, wow, pause, aren't I great? This is whoa. Am I really going to, hey, put a nail in that hand. Come on, I dare you. And in that moment of prayer, 
There is a guy in the Garden of Gethsemane, a, a wide, there's no hypocrisy going, there's no cover up, there's no adjusting, there's just wide open, oh father, oh father, let me tell you how I really am, let me tell you what I'm really thinking, let me tell you how I feel, let me tell you what my emotions are doing to me. Moments of honesty. Ah, I think his high priestly prayer was like that. He was interceding for us. And if there was ever a moment you're seeing what's important to him, what he really cares about. See, he isn't, he isn't praying. Oh, it's going to be Stephen Manley and 21st century. And oh, I want him to be successful in ministry. And I want him to be the greatest evangelist of that age. And see, it's none of that kind of prayer. You know what he's praying for me? Oh, Father, I want him to, I want him to know you. Like I know you. See, now you're, now you're getting into what, what he really cares about. Now it's, see, it's wide open. Now it's, hey, here's the deep, here's the, see, there's nothing surface in that. There's no, oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, bless the multitude. See, there's none of that kind of stuff. This is down to it. Hey, I'm, so I'm proposing to you that it's in moments of real, 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 sincere, open prayer. Where hypocrisy is set aside and manipulation is pushed away. And, and we're down to it, down and dirty, man. Here we are. That you really get to see what's going on. That's verse 24. I know as you read it, and based upon our own personal experiences, we don't see that. So I don't know how to communicate this to you. See, we see ourselves in a board meeting. Yeah, well, we got this deal. Well, yeah, we really need to. Okay, well, hey, let's, uh, well, who do you suggest? Well, okay, uh, who, who's, who, who's going to do the nominating? Okay, uh, yeah, well, let's vote. And, well, let's pray before we vote. Father, help us choose the right one. Okay, God bless you. Now, let's vote. See, it's not that kind of a deal. See, you've got to get this in the context of, of, of verse 14, which is all about all about this prayer, this umbrella of prayer where they're interacting with God. And, hey, they've never done this before. There, there's never been prayer like this. Hey, Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. And for the first time in the history of the world, people are beginning to pray in the name of Jesus. And they've never done that before, man. And a whole new access to God has opened up to these boys. And, wow, they're just, whoa, can you believe what's happening? And they're interacting with God in a whole brand new way. And they're just absolutely thrilled and they've just come out of 40 days of the resurrection appearance and, and his face is literally, it's literally glued on their eyeballs, man. They, they see him. They, 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 they sense it. They, they're thrilled. They can't talk about anything else. They're just all wrapped up in this thing. They burn. They're passionate. This whole thing has gripped them and they come to this moment. Hey, this has got, we got to, we got to follow through. We, how are we going to do? Oh, we got to pray. And it's a wide openness. Now again, you've got to see verse 24 in light of verse 14. And again, let me remind you that the prayer is a, is a, is a practicing his presence kind of prayer. It's a moment by moment by moment. It's a, an interaction with God in everything that was going on kind of prayer. And that's the context of this. Now look at the elements of the prayer. And they prayed and said, You 
O Lord, who know the hearts of all. Let's talk about that. The words, who know the hearts. It's one Greek word. The Greek word is cardia nosta. Cardia nosta. I ring a bell with you. Cardia nosta. Nosta is no. Um, this morning in one of the sessions we talked about gnosko. That's the word. That's the word right there. And it has a prefix, cardia. You know that word. We use it all the time. Oh, it's the big one. <laughs> you know, it's the... <clears throat> they put me in that ward. They have a name for it. It's the heart, man. So the actual word is heart knower. And what are they saying here? Verse 24. And they prayed and said, you, O Lord, O heart knower. You're the heart knower. Now there's two ideas combined there that I just, I'm trying to deal with. One is, again, the idea of gnosko, which is the second word, cardia gnosko. It means to know. And this will be a review for some of you, but see, there were, there's four words in the New Testament, four Greek words in the New Testament that can be translated no. And they all mean knowledge and knowing and grasping and information and data. They all, they all mean that, but oh, they mean more than that. They mean more than that. That is some of them because they, they have an undertow to it. And the word gnosko, has, has a, it means to know, that's true, and needs knowledge, understanding, that's right, grasping, that's all there, but it paints this additional picture that you have to deal with. And the additional picture is, it's a relational term. See, the impact of the word is the idea that the object that I'm knowing has value to me. The object that I'm knowing, that I'm understanding, that I'm grasping, that I have knowledge of, is important to me. The object, the object that I'm knowing is, oh, it has high priority. It has, I have a relationship with it. It's not just, oh, yeah, I know that. It's not just information. It's not, well, I read it in the newspaper. It's not that kind of thing. It's, oh, I, I know, I, I'm embraced. In fact, do you know that in the New Testament, when it says, Matthew writes, and says that Joseph took Mary to be his wife and did not know her. Till she brought forth her firstborn son. Well, you know what that means. That means in their marriage relationship, they got married and for six months when Jesus was born, they had no physical intimate relationship. He didn't know this is the word. See, this is a word of intimacy. This is a word of, hey, I, I, I know you. I, I've really gotten intimate with you. I, hey, we've shared together, man. I've, I've slept in your bed and ate at your table and, and, and I've embraced you and, and loved you and hey, I, I know your thoughts and I know... See, it's that kind of a word. Are you with me? See, this is not 
just he's the heart knower. Yeah, yes. Oh, God is omniscient. He knows everything. It's not that. It's that, oh, it's valuable and it's relational and it's, oh, in fact, this is the word that he uses, that Jesus uses when he talks about us knowing God. And we talked about that this morning in terms of the idea of eternal life. This is eternal life, he says. This is eternal life that they may gnosko you and Jesus Christ that you have sent. That's what he said. What is eternal life? Well, I carry it in my hip pocket. What is eternal life? Well, I came to the altar and signed a paper and hey, it was stamped by God. Eternal life. You've got it. This was my free ticket. It's, that's not eternal. What is eternal life? Oh, it's intimacy. It's, it's, it's knowing God. Now he says, not only is this, oh, I know God, but guess what? God knows me. He gnosko's me. It's a little scary, isn't it? I mean, he really gnosko's me. I mean, he really knows me. And this is, and this is, this is intimate. This is caring. This is, it's not just knowledge. It's not academic. It's, it's caring, loving, relational, embracing, knowing kind of thing. Now, coupled with that, of course, is this cardia thing, the heart. He's the heart knower. Now, you understand that concept. Leviticus 17.11, life is in the blood. That was the whole Hebrew concept. Life is in the blood. So when they talked about the heart, they weren't talking about the blood pumper. They weren't saying, oh, he lives in my blood pumper. You know, for a kid, we teach that all the time in Sunday school, you know. Jesus lives in your heart. Let him come into your heart. Into my heart, into my heart. We sing that song, you know. It's... Hey, we thought, oh, we draw it. Oh, it's right here. (laughs) See, their concept was that if life is in the blood, the blood comes out of the heart and comes back to the heart. So obviously the source of life itself is the heart. So that which produces, that which brings into existence that which that which sources life everything that every whoop where'd that attitude come from the heart whoop where did that stay whoop that was just a slip of the tongue no it wasn't you know what a slip of the tongue is oh i thought it but it didn't mean to say it that's the slip of the tongue but it was there come on and where did it come from the heart came from the heart so all my talk and all oh, that's why James talks about, whoa, your tongue. <clears throat> Pull the thing out, cut it off. Whoa. Why? Because it exposes the heart. You gotta watch this thing. Why? Because hey, your whole insides are are just are spilling out all the time. We're watching you. So the heart is the source of life in the Hebrew concept. And, 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 and isn't it interesting that, that God knows, is intimate with, embraces my hand? No. What I do? No. What I think? No. My actions? No. He watches my preaching? No. You know what he really knows? You know what is of extreme value to him? You know what he really, really, really goes after? You know what he really is embracing? What sources me? 
motive. Inside stuff. Now, you may have your own philosophy and, and have your own words and your own philosophy and, hey, I don't care. If you want to call that your soul, if you want to call that your spirit, I don't, hey, let's not argue about that. But whatever it is and wherever it is in you that sources you and produces you and brings, and brings you about, that's what God is after. And that's what he knows. And that's where, ooh, that's where he goes to the depth. He, it's not surface stuff. He's the heart knower. Now, it's so intriguing to me, and I know this stuff turns you on too, but it's so intriguing to me that this word heart knower in verse 24 is only used two times in the whole New Testament. Two times. And guess what? Both of them are in the book of Acts. And guess what? Both of them are spoken by Peter. Both times it's spoken by Peter. If you believe that Peter spoke verse 24, the prayer. So both of them are in the book of Acts. Both times this word shows up, it's uh, spoken by Peter. And both times it's in a business meeting where they are making overwhelming decisions about the church. And this word is brought up every time. Awesome. Let me take you to the other place it's used. It's in Acts, and it's chapter 15. So just turn there if you would. Acts chapter 15. It's verse 8. Peter's speaking. Verse 7, Peter rose up, said to them, Men and brethren, you know that you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God who knows the heart. There's that word. Cardia nosta. God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. Now, you know the conflict. This is the Jerusalem council. Ooh. I mean, the big boys are there. General superintendents, the whole lot, man. All the DSs have come in. And hey, this, this is, oh, this is decision making stuff that's going to affect you and me today. Whether, whether Christianity was going to be a little Jewish sect, uh, just a little offspring of Judaism, just another wrinkle on a Jewish system, or whether it was going to be a worldwide movement of God, it's being decided right here. See, Paul was out there. Missionary journeys have taken place. Hey, all these Gentiles, guys like me, man, they're all getting saved, man. Whoa, God is moving on their hearts. Churches are being built. And here comes along these Judaizers who come to these churches and say, now listen, hey, what Paul told you is the truth. He preached the gospel. Oh, Paul's a great evangelist, great evangelist. But he's a little shallow in his theology. And what he told you is right. God does save you by grace, but it's grace plus doing some Jewish things. I mean, you need to watch this eating what what meat you eat. You need to watch that meat eat, the, I mean, eating meat that, that was get, uh, sacrificed by to, to idols. Hey, cut that out. And you need to be circumcised. And you need to go through. And you need to keep the Sabbath day. And you need to meet on Saturday instead of Sunday. You know all that stuff. They laid all that out. So God, Paul told you right, grace, but it's grace plus. Paul said no. No, those guys are lying to you. Don't buy into that. Wrote a whole book called Galatians on it. Oh, and screamed at him. It's Jesus plus nothing. 
Jesus plus nothing. It's not Jesus plus coming to the church of the land. It's not Jesus plus being good. It's not Jesus plus being at all. It's not Jesus plus being right. It's not Jesus plus giving me $50. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's just plain flat down to it. Jesus. He said. Oh. Well, they're arguing. Well, we got to settle this. Okay. So they headed for Kansas City and they end up in Jerusalem. And hey, here's all the big boys and, and they're all together. And James is the head of the council and, and they're and they're discussing this thing. And Paul and Barnabas, they give their plea and say, hey, here's what's happening. All we know is that God has moved upon us, sent us out. We're preaching to these guys. They all hit the altar, man. They all get saved. God seems to do in them exactly what he does in us. Now, what do you want to do with that, guys? And then Peter. Peter, yeah. you know who he is? He's a Jew. He's legalistic. Been raised in this stuff. You know. He stands up. And he begins to speak in behalf of the Gentiles. And he sways the whole church deal. And in the heart of what he has to say is verse 8. God, the heart knower, did to these Gentiles. Well, what happened? Well, I went down to Cornelius' house and there were all these Gentiles. Hey, And they were believers. And hey, I began to preach and, 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 and we began to testify and some things began to happen. Next thing we know, what God did for at Pentecost in Jerusalem to you Jews, God turned right around and did the same identical thing to the Gentiles. Gentiles? Yeah. Suppose they had ponytails. Yeah, man, they go to movies too. And they, some of them smoke cigarettes and they, you know, they got all that. How could their jet, they, they can't, no, they don't keep our, but God didn't seem to care. Why? Because God doesn't look on the outside. He's the heart. No. Peter said that? Peter said that? What would make, what would bring Peter to that place? Oh, you know. Several days before that time, that we, we went to, he went to Cornelius's, several days before he went to Cornelius's, he's in this house, man. Oh, he's about to starve to death. Oh, he's really hungry. They're fixing the food, but it's taking a long time. And he's just, he's, he just, he, he falls into this trance, starving to death. And you know what happened? gigantic sheet four corners folded comes down and the sheet opens up and here's all these animals and God says hey kill and eat Ooh. you know what that sheet is full of unclean animals snakes Ooh. you know all the pigs Ooh. you know all that stuff that you oh it's not on my diet I'm not oh I'm not eating that hey God says you do not go hey Peter Button your lip, boy. You don't call unclean what I've cleaned up. Sheet folds back, goes off. Peter wakes up and says, man, I'm hungry. Back in a trance. Whoa, here comes this sheet. Four corners. Opens up. Hey, kill and eat. What? That, what, those pigs, those snakes, those... I'm not eating... Possums? I'm not... Don't you call... Unclean what I've cleaned up. She goes up, does it again, man. About to start at that wall. Falls into this trance, down comes the sheep. Hey, kill it. Oh, I'm not. 
Not on my dad. Hey, don't you call. And he comes out of that trance, bang on the door, come to Cornelius' house, goes over to this Gentile, and the whole thing takes place. God shook that boy's boat in big time. Saying, hey, Peter, you know what you look at? Yeah, crawling on the belly. You know what you look at? Horns. You know what you at? look at? Split hoofs. See, you look at all that stuff and say, oh, unclean. I've done a work. Because I don't look at the horns. Split hoof. Circumcision. I look at the heart. I'm the heart. No The heart. No I'm trying to apply this to my life. I don't know what to do with it. See, there's two ideas going on here. One is the depth of his knowledge. He knows, not just information, not just facts, not just, you know, internet stuff. He, he goes clear to the, he, he has the, it's, it's, it's valuable. It's, see, what he loves, it's, 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 oh, he, he embraces, it's relational, it's, and, and what does he love and what does he really into? Oh, it's, it's heart, it's what sources you, it's, it's what he's after is. See, you're so concerned about doing the right thing and he's so concerned about you allowing him to source you. See, you're so concerned about dotting the I and crossing the T and, well, I think, yeah, well, I come to church on time. See, you're so concerned about that kind of stuff and he's so concerned about, oh, will you let me flow through you? Will, I, will you, will you, will you bring your heart into line with mine? Will you begin to feel what I feel and see what I see and will you begin to be passionate about what I'm passionate about and will you literally let me motivate you from the inside? See, you're so concerned about bite your lip and discipline yourself and pull this off. He says, I'm so concerned about you opening up and getting into my mind and my heart and let me embrace you in an intimate knowledge and oneness until through you I can literally begin to spill my my very life and source. That's what I'm interested in. Will you allow it? You may not want to turn to this, but you could, I guess. Hebrews. I found another word that I thought, oh, oh, this is it. This is it. Uh, This will help me in this study. It's Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, That is chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And it especially turned me on because it's all about the word of God. And you know this verse well. It's all about the word of God. And I just really, oh, I looked at this and I said, this is it. Oh, this will tie in this, this, hey, the word of God. and, 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 And I really got turned on with this. Right in the middle of this chapter 4, verse 12, he says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Discerner. So, I got into this word discerner, thinking it would parallel this heart-knower thing. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's a total opposite deal. Oh, by the way, the word discerner there in the Greek language, the word that's, the Greek word that's translated discerner is only used one time in the New Testament. This is it. 
means the ability to judge. It means, and you can see this in the context, it means the skilled surgeon. Hey, there's an emergency surgery. Yeah, I've been called in, man. I'm the surgeon. I've been called in. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, who's the patient? I don't know. What's his name? I don't know. Have you ever met him? Well, no. They had him out by the time I got there. Well, what's his family like? I don't know. Well, does he like football or baseball or basketball? or I don't know. Is he computer whiz? Or, no, I don't know. And to tell you the truth, I don't care. See, my sleeves are rolled up. My hands are sterilized. And I'm the skilled surgeon. And the knife is going to slice. And I have no relationship with the patient. See, that's the word discerner here. That's not the heart knower. See, the heart knower is not a stalker. The heart knower is not a peeping Tom. The heart knower is not one who slipped up to my window and has been watching me and knows. See, the heart knower is not Santa Claus. Woo, thank you, Jesus. See, the heart knower is a lover. See, the heart knower is one who cares. The heart knower is, oh, man, I'm not out to get you. I'm not out to cut you down, man. I'm not out to put you. I, I'm, not out to, I'm not out to slice you, man. I'm not out to cut you down to size. I'm not out suspicious. I'm not... See, I, 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 I love you. I, 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 I know you and I want relationship and intimacy and I want it on the, on the deepest level of life. The source. What produces you? Oh, probably got carried away with that, but I want, I take, take, go back to Acts. Now, I want you to see that in verse 24, they prayed and said, You, O Lord, heart knower of all. That the context is prayer. And here's some of the difficulty I've been struggling with. Trying to bring this heart knower concept and drag it into my prayer life. You know what my prayer life is like? Lord, I was thinking today, got a great idea. You're going to like it. And Lord, this would really benefit the church and evangelism and the ministry and what we're trying to do. And God, this, this is definitely, I've talked it over some, with some others too, and they agree with me, Lord. That's not their approach. You know what their approach is? Look at verse 24. You, O Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you've already chosen. There's no attempt here to talk anybody into anything. There's no attempt here to manipulate. There's no attempt to say, well, now God, you recognize. Well, here's what I... Th well, if you will, then I'll... See, there's none of that here. There's no manipulation. There's no conning. There's no... This is, oh God, you're the heart knower. You know from the source, from the motive, from the deepest level, all the way through, oh God, you're, you're the heart knower. So, hey, would you tell us what you... Will you tell us what you've already decided? Would you... We, we've just come to discover where you're going and what you want. 
That's a whole different kind of... Now, I haven't thought my way through all of this. Because I know on the other side, we're told to bring our request. But I do know this, that both of these times that this word is used, it's in the church business meeting. When vital decisions are being made about ministry. And the whole approach is, oh God, we're flat on our face saying, hey, we have just come to discover what you've already decided. Could I, could I, would it be all right to, could I say that I've been coming to the place in my life where he is becoming so important to me and so, so valuable to me and so, that what I really want is, I, I really want to discover what he's already decided. I'm, I'm sick of telling him what to do because I've done that so long and gotten in so much. That I really would like to get on my face and say, oh, I'd like to discover what you've already decided. I'd like to discover where you're already going. I'd like to discover what you've already put in place. I'd like to, hey God, I'm not talking to you in anything. I'm not manipulating. I'm not. That's the context here. Now remember also, and this is the other thing I'm struggling with, remember also that the whole umbrella is not just a moment of prayer and request, but the whole umbrella is this practicing His presence, living in the flow of His life. They, as they ate, as they fellowshiped, as they were down at the church, as they were, as they were conducting business, as some of them went out and bought food, as, the, as some of them were cooking, as they were doing dishes, the, the, all of it came under the umbrella of, of prayer. In fact, let me remind you that the word prayer in verse 14 is so broad that it's the word that's the same word that Jesus used when he called, when he cleansed cleansed the temple, you know, turned the pews upside down. And, And when he got done, he said, let me tell you why I've done this. He said, you have made this house a den of thieves and it is a house of prayer. What do you mean by that? The only thing you're to do in this place is pray. Do you realize how limiting that is? If you think of prayer as on your knees, beating a metal chair, screaming at the top of your lungs. Because we do lots of things in the church. They did lots of things in the temple. Incense. Sacrifices. Fellowship. Court of the Gentiles. They did all this stuff. There were whole activities going on in the temple. And he said, all of that's to come under the umbrella of interaction with God. It's all right to offer incense. You're supposed to do it. God said so. It's Old Testament structure. Hey, you got all that washing your hands in the laver. Hey, you're supposed to do all that. All that kind of stuff you're supposed to do. But that's all under the umbrella of prayer. And everything you do in this place is to be in the interaction. You are, this is to be a house of prayer so that everything that takes place here is interaction with God. You know what the New Testament concept is. I'm the temple. The Jewish temple's been replaced. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm it. <laughs> I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right. 
and I am to be a house of prayer. Everything that's going on in this house is to be an interaction with God. There's nothing to go on inside my body, mind, emotions, nerves, that is not interaction with God. Be like prayer. I haven't been that kind of house. I've been a house of lust. I've been a house of envy. I've been a house of greed. I've been a house of profiting. I've been a house of manipulation. I've been a house of getting my own way. He says, I want you to be a house of prayer. So that nothing goes on within you that is not interaction with God. So job, school, arguing with your wife, everything is an interaction with God. He's right in the middle of it and you're interacting with him. Well, who's the God you're interacting with? The heart. Knower. Oh, man. Can you imagine interacting with somebody who knows everything? About everything. You know how I am? Well, sure. I know. Yes, that happened. But let me tell you how it happened. And by the time I get done with it, I look pretty good. Because I always paint myself in the best light. couldn't do that with him because he knows he knows and I got to live with him you know how I am I'm always manipulating things to my benefit oh for the good of the church Can you imagine living with him? And every time my fingers begin to manipulate, he knows. Do you realize what kind of surrender you'd have to have to live with that kind of a God? See, I'm, I'm used to, oh, I'm surrendered. Well, sure. I surrendered my tithe. I surrendered my Sunday morning. Uh, hey, I've surrendered my career. Yeah, I, 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 I'm full-time in ministry. I've surrendered my career. I've surrendered, you know, I, 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 I'm surrendered. I'm, 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 are you totally surrendered? Oh, totally surrendered. Totally surrendered. I mean, God is out there. I'm here and I'm totally surrendered. All this stuff, I can name them all. But what if surrender isn't like that? What if surrender isn't surrendering stuff? 
What if surrender is getting into intimacy with him, the one who is the heart knower and knows the very source of your being from the inside out and is surrendering to the point that you allow him to adjust you, constantly clean you. I mean, work you over, just go to the depth, just purify, just point out consistently your just your con constantly under the scrutiny of the heart well, I'll let him do that on Sunday no this is all the time <sighs> let me give you the flip side to it that's kind of the negative let me give you the it's a positive, really. Let me give you the flip side to it. Since he's the one who knows. <laughs> he understands. I want to tell you what happened to me as a child. I would tell you, but you wouldn't get it. Yeah, you wouldn't understand. Oh, you might say you do, but you weren't there. And you don't know how it affected me. So you don't really know. He does. Amen. Yeah. He does. Yeah. Do you realize the chance I have? I have the opportunity of getting really tight, become really one, Good. intimate, with the heart knower who understands, yeah. knows yeah. the depth. I get the opportunity of embracing 24 hours a day, living in the consistency of the fullness of God within me and allowing Him literally to spill through my system and to filter out everything that's out of whack with with the, with the with what he wants in the sourcing of my life. I get the opportunity of getting so tight with God that he can scrutinize moment by moment in my life like a lover, like, 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 a, like a deep, deep, oh, lover of my soul that he is. And he can scrutinize and, and clean me up and, and straighten out and, and source me. I, I, have the, I have the opportunity. Because he's the heart. This scares me because I, I don't know how to come to that kind of surrender. I don't know how to. I don't know how to kneel at an altar of prayer and I don't know what steps to take to surrender to you like that. I don't, I don't know what else to give to you. I don't. How do I do this, God? But then, I already know the answer to that. I can't do it. You're going to have to take me and crucify me. You're going to have to take me 
to this level, you're going to have to, would you wrap, would you come tonight? Would you wrap your arms around me? Would you take me beyond what I can figure out, beyond what I can understand, beyond what I can do? Would you take me beyond where I am? Would you take me into an intimacy with you on a deeper, deeper level? Would you take me to a whole new realm of surrender? Would you take me into a whole new realm of oneness with you, whereby my life and your life would be so intertwined in a flow of your presence the heart knower would, oh, you would, you would be the source of my, you, every motive, everything that, oh, it would all, hey, I, no, I know I won't always do the right thing and sometimes stuff will come and, and I'll say and I shouldn't have and oh, I know God, but oh, you, the source of my life, the, 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 the inside movement of my being, you, you will source and be the motive of my system. I'm declaring to you tonight, I don't want anything going on in me but you. I don't want any source in my life but you. I don't want anything producing anything in my life but you. I want you to be the sole, single producer of my living. It's about, it's radical, absolutely radical. If you just want to be a nominal Christian, hang around Sunday morning, Sunday night, this is not for you. But I believe God has placed in your heart a deep internal hunger. A dissatisfaction that yells at you night and day. That he wants to take you beyond. That there's a new embrace. There's possibilities you've not experienced yet. And the heart knower has come tonight. He's not a stalker. Not a peeping Tom. He's a lover of your soul. Oh, how he wants to embrace you. And make you a house. A prayer. Intimacy. Oneness. Sourced. By him. Would you risk tonight what he would do in you if you would kneel before him and say, Here I am. Whatever you got to take away from me, whatever you got to add to me, whatever you got to do in me, whatever walls have to come down, whatever attitudes you need to change, whatever God you need to do, embarrass me, whatever, it's all okay. But I want to fall on my face before the heart knower and say, I want to discover what you've already chosen for me. Pull me into all that you are. (sighs) Some moments of prayer.
altar's open. Want to join us here? Bravehearted Voices is brought to you by the Ministry of Deeper Christian in partnership with Ellerslie Discipleship. Our passion is to help you grow spiritually by providing Christ-centered resources, discipleship, and training in the Word of God and the victorious life of Christ. Our agenda is to bring back the stuff of old, the sort of Christianity that is lived out with the gusto of heaven and actually and practically works. For more, visit bravehearted voices. Dot com.